Good morning, beautiful people of the center. Hello, how nice to see some of you I haven't seen for a very long time. And hello to our online viewers too. I see you in the little box over there and in your comments and sharing as well online. It's so good to be together. We're at the end of the month completing our series on relationship. And today's topic is this, the one and only kind of sounds like we're going to be talking about romantic relationships, but spiritually speaking, the one and only refers to the living Spirit Almighty, the divine. And the idea in today's message is this, that the kind of person that you and I become is connected to what is most important in our lives. The way we cope with life and move through life and grow through life tends to be shaped by what is most important to us. In other words, what we put in first place shapes us. And as we grow in our intimacy with that and learn more deeply what that is, we come to trust it and depend in it, on it and believe in it. That's the message. So I'm going to tell a well-known story that I love telling. It's a story from the Jewish Testament of the people of Israel after they left Egypt and were wandering around in the wilderness looking for the land that they had been promised they would receive. Now, I admit, not being Jewish, I don't understand all of the cultural significance of the story. I can, however, relate to some of the universal themes in the story that relate to everyone, because it is a story about the one and only and keeping it in first place. It's the famous story of the Israelites who, according to the story, had been enslaved in Egypt and they are rescued by Moses. And so move fast forward in the story and they're on their way to freedom, to the land of freedom and plenty. And things just take too long. And they get fed up. They get feisty. So here comes our part. If you've ever felt um, trapped, stuck, to the point of being hopeless and tired, if you've ever yearned to get out, freedom, or at least for a new start, then this story may resonate with you. In fact, you might even recognize that you behave sometimes just like the people in the story do. So I think of Egypt not only as a geographical place, really it could be any place. It's really a symbol of a state of mind, that state of mind when I feel like I'm not in control of my own life. It could just, well, it could be one big thing, you know, like a health challenge. Or it could be a whole bunch of little things like, you know, family dynamics with lots of people involved. Or it could be the slow accumulation of a bunch of things that I don't even notice them until at one point I wonder, how did I get here? 
or it could be an unexpected, undesired pandemic of a thing that turns things all upside down and puts everything on hold for way too long. Whatever it is, that stuckness is the kind of thing that makes me feel trapped. And it takes up a lot of space in my mind. And it gets itself into first place. It fills up my thoughts and my imagination and it can easily distract me from what I know. So much so that I might even forget what my spiritual nature is. You know the one we talked about in the past several weeks? I can forget it. And then the Moses moment comes. That's the moment, the opportunity to get out, to start again, to break loose, to move towards freedom. And that's what's happening in the story. Moses is leading the people to freedom. Very soon after their escape, they're wandering through the desert on the way home and they start to become impatient. <laughs> you know the story, right? <laughs> they start to lose their confidence that it's all going to be okay. Their trust gets shaky. They begin to doubt and the people start saying things. By the way, I think of the people as the different voices in me. Maybe you have them in you. So the people say, or that part of me says, I'm fed up with this. I don't think anything's going to change. And I can't take it anymore. I don't see any improvements. It's just more of the same. Where is the land I was promised? And as their trust goes down, their hopelessness goes up. And as their hopelessness increases, increases, so does their desperation and fear. And they start reaching. And they start to fantasize about the good old days. Maybe it wasn't that bad. And instead of going forward, they start to want to go backwards to the way things were. They start to forget the vision of freedom. They even stop noticing what good is around them. And even when the miraculous happens, they doubt it. They discount it. They, they go against what they've been told. They've been told to keep the one and only in first place, to stay focused on the one and only. But no, because they're not getting their desired results quick enough, they start sneaking off and worshiping idols of other gods. Now, worship here means putting things in first place that ought not to be in first place. Now, only you know what that means to you. To me, it's like when I know there is a good and right way for me to live my life, but I don't. Maybe it's because I don't yet have the spiritual muscle to stick with it or... Well, anyway, whatever it is, I, 
I sneakily give my attention to other lesser things, typically because I'm familiar with them and how they will reward me if I worship them. It's not that other things are good or bad. They may be. I don't know. It's just that, here's what we started with, the kind of person that you and I become in the world is connected to what is most important in our lives. The way we navigate this world, how we make it through each day, tends to be shaped by what we put in first place. Now, here's an interesting tidbit in the story that you may relate to. While the people are in that reactive, impatient, willful, argumentative state of mind, they don't get to where they're going. They don't arrive. They just go around in circles. I can relate. When I'm in a reactive, impatient, willful frame of mind, which often is characterized by, by me not having any time for my spiritual life, although I tend to have a lot of time for everything else, I don't tend to go where I want to be. Don't get there. And I know what the solution is for me and for the people in the story. Maybe for you, I don't know, but for me it is to put the one and only, back in first place. <laughs> and, and to me, that means to take definite time daily to be still. You know, that's why I committed this whole year to start every single morning at 6 a.m. Pacific time just for 10 minutes with a devotional practice to get on the right track because I noticed I had strayed. And the practice has helped me get back on track. And it's allowed me to look at what is in first place in my life. And you know when I get the one and only back in first place in my life. Everything and everyone benefits. Just everyone. Now the Ten Commandments show up in the story too. You know, the guidelines to help the people keep the one and only in the first place. So in the story when they're getting all fed up and they start being complaining all the time. Moses knows what the solution is. He knows it's to become still. He knows it's to go within, to go up into the consciousness of the highest and to commune with the divine and to receive direction. So he does. He goes up the mountain to be alone and to contemplate. And he receives, according to the story, the Ten Commandments. And these are the guides to stay on the true path, you know. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't kill. The basics. And one of the commandments is this. Keep your eye on the one and only. Or said like this in the Bible, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And another one of the commandments is this, don't substitute anything else for the one and only. Or the way it's stated in the Bible, thou shalt not have any graven images. 
And by the way, if you do, if you do have graven images and you do have other gods, you're not going to get punished for it. You're not going to get killed. You're not going to get thrown in a lake of fire for eternity. No, it's worse than that. <laughs> Here's what happens. Whatever you put in first place becomes your God. It's that simple. And it will govern you. It will shape your thinking and influence your decisions and make up your mind for you. So the commandments are not a threat. It's just an explanation of how it works. So a graven image then, think of it's a substitute. It's something that you put in first place where the one and only ought to be. And so it could be anything. It could be an idea, it could be, an, it could be a person, it could be a fear, it could be a habit, it could be a, need, it could be a religion, it could be a goal. Anything that you and I give the power to control our minds, our lives, our choices. Back to the story. So Moses is up on the mountain. He's communing with the living spirit. He's receiving the guidance. And the people, according to the nature of the people, that's our lower nature. They're down lower on the ground. They get anxious and impatient. So I'm imagining them saying, um, we've been cooped up here for a long time. We need real leadership. We need results we can see. What's going on with Moses anyway? Why is he always up contemplating, navel-gazing? We don't need silence now and spirituality. We need a plan. How is this okay? How is this better than what we had before? And so they start grumbling to one of the leaders among them, and they say, look, Enough with this invisible power that's everywhere present that runs in and through us that is the source of all creativity. We need a God that we can see and touch and feel. So they melt down all of their jewelry and their gold and they create a calf to worship. You know, according to ancient um, times in ancient lands, uh, it was common to worship statues, images of animals. They were symbols of fertility and, and power. It was the old way. And I know how it is in difficult times to want to slip back into the old ways, you know, one that is familiar. I mean, even if it didn't work so well, then it's still familiar. Early in my training in science of mind at the Center for Spiritual Living, oh, I loved what I was learning about the divine, about the living spirit. Oh, that it is a presence in and through all creation, in and through me, and that my own mind was the place where I intersect with the living universe, and that right at that place I have access to the creative power, the holiness of all of life, and that it tends to flow through me in the direction of my intentions. I loved that, but I was new to it, not yet solid. So it's easily tripped up. So when a particularly challenging situation happened in my life, 
and I, I wasn't yet fully comfortable with this new way of thinking and this new way of praying. You know, when the situation got particularly serious and frightening, I panicked. <laughs> I needed to do something. And do you know, I found myself on my knees reciting the prayers from my childhood. At least I knew how to do it. So now I have empathy for the people in the story. I get it. They had just emerged into freedom. I'm guessing they might have felt vulnerable. Maybe because they had been controlled for so long, or maybe because some of them hadn't ever been able to think for themselves in their whole lives. So in terms of spiritual, emotional development, they were new to freedom. And so when difficulty showed up, they may have got nervous and wanted to revert to something that they knew the old way. You know, friends of mine in recovery have told me they can relate to this. How after recovery begins, every single day that you do not take that old God back counts as a step on the path to freedom. So I think of that now when I want to go back so that I can go forward instead. And think of that now when I want to go back. And instead of turning back, I pause instead, like I do daily. I just stop to be with the one and only, so that from it I can remember forward. One of the great metaphysical teachers, Erwin Seal, wrote this. Now listen to this. Whatever moves you to action or inhibits your action is a God to you. Whatever you believe in, to the point of being affected by it, is a God to you. Like the first time I bought a home, a house. Have you heard the phrase, God is all there is? Well, to me, the house took the place of God. You see, I couldn't afford it. It was too expensive. So I worried about it all the time. And to me, the house was all there was. It demanded all of my attention and my resources and all of my thinking. And I think that is what the phrase worshiping a false idol feels like, giving all of you to something that takes away your power and occupies the place where the one and only should be. Another great metaphysical teacher, Emmett Fox, wrote this. Whenever we give power to anything but God, we are making that thing into a graven image, even though it is not a palpable image of wood or stone. Just like the first time I fell in love, and the second time, and the third time, 
You know, it's not that falling in love is a bad thing. It's not that buying a house is a bad thing. It's not that having a dream is a bad thing or anything. It's that if I forget to keep the one thing in the first place, that's the issue. And I think it may have been Michael Bernard Beckwith who said, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. I know that whatever I put in first position in my life will shape me. I know that. And I want to be shaped by the living Spirit Almighty, which is the source of all everything, of loving kindness, of empathy, of generosity, of connection and of wholeness. And I know that when I keep that in first place, well, then relationships, challenges, jobs, the world, everything can be navigated with a little more courage, and a little more compassion, a little more grace, a little more resilience, a little more understanding. And I want to live like that. So I have a question that you might want to write down in your journal or just remember it for today, and it's this. What, ah, what, if anything, is the thing or the things in my life that have power over me? And is it or they a worthy God to worship? Maybe you can follow up with some writing about this. What if anything would change if you and I took time daily to be still and to be with the one and only? I invite you to breathe in with me and to exhale as we have a moment of being with the one and only in prayer. There is only one, whatever it is. Call it the living spirit almighty, or the mother of creation, or the mind of the universe, or the energy of life, or eternal love. Whatever it is, it is beyond qualities and definition and names. And yet, words are what we have to work with, so I point in my own mind towards that which is eternal. With my words, I point to that which is immortal and everywhere present, that which is within me, the one and only, the living Spirit, within me and within every person and within all of creation. And today, through this prayer, I realize that I live and move and breathe and have my being in it, that I exist because of it. I am not only made from it, I'm one of it. And so this realization in me steeps in me the awareness that I am at home in this universe. And so I let fall away everything that suggests importance, self-importance to me. And I turn instead fully and directly and resolutely to the truth of being within. 
And from that stillness, I receive the guidance, the inspiration, and the comfort to know what to do and when to do it and how to do it. From that place within arises a courage and hope. From that place within, I feel my connection to all that is. And there is a quiet acceptance, a gladness even, that I have prayed this way. For I am aware that according to spiritual law, I am being changed even now. And so I feel myself rising in consciousness to take my place among the community of beings with more grace, more peace, and more wisdom. And I allow it to be. And so it is.